Welcome to the Technology Trailblazers podcast, where we explore new ways to unlock business potential with unprecedented technological innovation. Hi there, I'm your host, Derek Little, and this is the podcast for companies of all sizes wanting to digitally transform their business with the latest technology. In this interview, I'm honored to speak with Steve Ardiri, an artificial intelligence expert who sees failures in the mental health industry. Based on his research, Steve found that even pre-COVID-19, mental health resources were severely lacking. He says that according to recent data from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, 55% of U.S. counties do not have a practicing psychiatrist, psychologist, or social worker. Steve has developed an AI-driven mental health assessment tool that uses tonal and emotional analysis to give therapists real-time visualizations of their patients' thoughts. In this interview, Steve describes the traditional problems in assessing mental health and how AI can give people with mental health challenges a new way to get better. Here's what he had to say. 20% of Americans had anxiety, depression, or both. Post-COVID, 50% 50% of them are greater than 50% of Americans say the Corona crisis is harming their mental health and depression rates have tripled during the pandemic. A survey from last year revealed young adults have significant depressive symptoms in 80%, 80% of participants, one in four people in the 18 to 24 age bracket considered committing suicide at some point during the pandemic. So this is really amping up the, you know, the crisis. It's fueling the crisis even more. And the attention hasn't been served by government. They'll provide funding for, you know, in healthcare and medical, but it seems like mental health has been kind of a stepchild of sorts. It, it gets like the table scraps versus, you know, other areas in, you know, in healthcare. And adult prevalence, I don't want to just, we're focusing on the youth initially, but even adult prevalence of mental health is increasing, you know, because of, you know, the, you know, unemployment situation, and uh, that's putting further pressures. Some of the suggestions that have been recommended through um, organizations is, make permanent these COVID-19 changes to allow expanded telehealth services to a broader range of providers, okay, to meet these, tel- you know, these treatment needs. And so it's expanding the types of telehealth. Telehealth was like kind of percolating, but it's really in the mainstream now because of COVID. And part of the other recommendations is get more, you know, block grants for getting crisis response systems in every state, you know, coordinating funding, especially for community mental health services in rural areas, and then be able to, you know, have the health infrastructure to deliver behavioral health to all qualified centers. That's, That's what came out of this. It's interesting that you mentioned telehealth because I just had my first telehealth appointment. I had an MRI based on a cycling accident that I had. All the doctor had to go on was, uh, was the MRI. Right. And I, I kind of wondered about her diagnosis and there wasn't really time to ask her questions. I felt it could have been done a lot better. That's my point exactly is it's sort of like whether you do it via telehealth or you go to 
a face-to-face -face visit with your doctor. The doctor doesn't have time other than to scan your charts really quickly, doesn't really have the time to do prep because the patient load is so enormous, and you're not really getting you know, a detailed assessment of your, you know, they'll string together if they have access to an EMR, EHR, your patient history, but they're going to really give you, you know, what they think is either, hey, here's some drugs, see you next month or whenever. And the same thing happens, and I'll give you a, a great reference point on why video chat sessions with therapists provide surface level advice at best. But there's some very significant players. Some of them have been acquired by, uh, you know, healthcare providers like United Healthcare acquired one of these players called AbleTo for like over 400 million. And there's other players. There's a lot of players that do what I call Me Too uh, video chat sessions, and they all claim that they have the best mental health therapists. They all claim that. But here's what the findings of facts are: is uh, I saw one of the patient experiences. They said, it was so much work to explain myself. A good 30 minutes a day of writing, rereading, going back to work, then, write, then writing to my therapist again. The messages he hadn't received didn't help matters either. And he had to wait for a few hours for a response. When it came, it was often generic and impersonal. So he felt like the advice was never very deep. It was just surface level at best. And that's really the storyline of, of what just video chat with a human therapist is providing today. How does this make mental health problems hard to detect, especially on video chat? So that's the thing about it is, you know, mental problems are so hard to detect because there's several dimensions of mental illness. The DSM model, the gold standard that was published in 2013, and then it's been iterating from that, they try to characterize mental disorders into neat little boxes. But any clinician, reputable clinician, could have said that few patients fit into a neat set of criteria. It's almost like when you're doing information management and you create a taxonomy right? And you try to label data, put it in a bucket, but it's the relationships. And in, in, in mental disorders, there's symptoms that are shared, like, you know, and, you know, you could have one disorder, like anxiety, and then there could be elements of, you know, deeper depression, you know, maybe suicidal tendencies. And when you're in just with, you know, a, a video chat session, it's really hard to, you know, to aggregate and to really thread together based on your, your expertise and your experience. So a little too much guesswork. It is. It's subjective. It really comes down to, sure, you can have metrics, you know, you know that they can get, you know, from you in terms of. MRIs, you know, other types of data, pinpoint a particular problem you're having, but there's no way a human can figure out the dimensionality. Even normal people, quote unquote, through the pandemic, including myself, have had more indications of anxiety because it's just circumstantial there. So can you give me an example of a particular mental health problem that doctors are struggling to help patients with? 
a deep clinical problem that you know we're not biting off is simply something like borderline personality disorder or manic depression. You know, we're starting with more uh, flavors and anxiety and depression, but with something like manic depression, there's this ongoing pattern of varying moods, you know, self-image and behavior. So it's also referred to, you know, bipolar disorder where there's episodes of mania and depression. This is tough, tough to treat, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of people just with flavors from light to deeper of, of anxiety and depression that need to be addressed, you know, on front end of this. So back to the approach here is with what we're doing, the reason perhaps as we thought this through over, like I said, from phase two going to phase three of signal action AI, you know, human, at the end of the day, human behavior is very messy. And most of the activity in the brain is non-conscious. So it's really quite interesting here is, you know, with AI in other verticals, and I'll come back to mental health, but this is a very important point, whether it be in other forms of healthcare or other service operations, marketing and sales, whatever, McKinsey just did this recent report on the state of AI in 2020. And only 16% of companies have taken AI beyond the pilot stage, meaning that it's still got a long way to go because there's a number of practices, the, the strategy, the leadership, the ways of working, the modeling, the tools, the data, the adoption that the high-performing companies get, which are few and far between still, from the others. And, uh, and this was sort of like something that we knew going into mental health, this is going to be really, really tough to thread. For instance, just yesterday, I had a call with a, another startup that's doing sales enablement, but they look at not just the easy stuff, you know, like you do in LinkedIn profiles, demographic, geographic, they're combining it with psychographic and behavioral data so they can get a, a much more accurate depiction Meaning like when you reach out to prospects, 90% of, you know, to sell something, a product or service, 90% of products on the list are crap. They waste time on dead ends. So they're trying to get you a better profile, a user profile of, of, of a targeted. And, and the reason I share that is that's kind of like the approach. And there's another company that's doing a predictive AI platform to anticipate and track global culture shifts. So you can actually, for like risk assessment, competitive intelligence, you can get an edge on your competitors. So we're seeing the use of these two examples that I gave you. Pretty much any credible AI can give you the, uh, the who, what, where, when, and how, but not the why. The why is the holy grail. Why means causal analysis and reasoning. It's what, you know, what humans do with facility for common sense reasoning. The thing about the, the tools in mental health, Derek, is they're not designed to, to ferret out the, the causal analysis. They just do the what and maybe the how. And if they figure out the what and the how, they think they can get the patient on the path to betterment. But again, as we talked earlier, they never get really deep 
and they don't really validate their subjective analysis. They're basically saying, hey, I'm a, you know, a clinical psychologist, I'm trained on the methodology, but they don't really want to explore getting into what are some of the, some of the other triggers that are leading to deep anxiety or depression. So you're saying there are yet to be tools that can really help doctors identify people with the problem and identify the problem. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, because which was really the impetus for our solution set, which we're calling contextual AI. So how can technology give patients a better chance of overcoming their mental health problems like the one you described? And the answer to that is the use of contextual AI. Because contextual AI uses multiple modalities. It, it, you, the, the one that is the richest is spoken language like we're doing right now. Spoken language, you know, our voice is very rich in rhythm, pitch, prosody. You can, de- you can detect stress through intonation. You can detect whether somebody's, you know, agitated, anxious. Our impetus at Signal Action AI was to really combine a bunch of these parameters, the spoken language, emotions, which are huge, huge, huge. And really, psychologists and clinicians, they don't really train, you know, unless you really can look at the, you know, the hidden micro expressions on people. And it's really interesting here. I had a guy a couple of months ago, he was an ex-special forces person. And he came across that article in Forbes on is self-help AI, the new trend. And he said, this is really interesting what you're doing. But when I came back from special operations, and it was always a criteria that they had to do a debrief with a psychologist to make sure that, you know, they weren't, you know, mentally you know, impaired with all the stress. What he said to me, we lied our way through it. <laughs> they pretty much, you know, they pretty much like said, even though it might have affected them because they didn't want to be off the squad or the SEAL team or something, and they just faked it out. And they said the psychiatrist or psychologist never never red flagged them or very, very, unless it was a real egregious, you know, case to where the special forces guy or, you know, person was wigged out, they pretty much skated through. And he kind of said, yeah, I can see where you're, you know, making a concerted effort to use AI to be able to be an augmented intelligence that can help a clinical psychologist zero in more like in lie detectors, right? The, sure. the real experts can fake them out because they're not bulletproof. The existing tools to analyze someone's condition just aren't that good. They aren't because, again, it's pretty much today the flavor is let's do it like you just did with your session. Let's do a video chat session. You talk to me. I have a list of questions. And I'm going to make my subjective with a little bit of objective analysis, but it's all going to be through that person's lens and not with the assist of having the, a machine, a sophisticated machine that can parse spoken language, be able to tap into uh, emotions and behaviorals to be able to reveal it isn't the explicit what they're saying. What are some of the hidden perceptions, the nuanced hidden perceptions 
that an AI, a sophisticated AI engine can bubble up and analyze that can complement the analysis of a clinician a whole lot better to get, you know, to be able to really give them a more personalized treatment, a more accurate indication of their mental state. Can you tell me about your startup then, SignalAction.ai? We think our contention is multimodal contextual AI is the most effective approach because we're combining what some players are already doing pretty well with just, you know, whether it be a, a single solution with tonal analysis, but we're combining tonal with emotional analysis, but also building these semantic classifiers to provide a more indication of mental state. So our approach was to say, hey, we're going to create not just another assessment tool, we're bringing in uh, social media questions. That's how people operate today, especially the youth. They, They want to know the importance of their social likes, but they also have to address things like cyberbullying. These social media questions are not in these traditional surveys. So you're missing a lot of rich data input in terms of trying to understand the emotional state of of a patient. Part of our plans is to get validation through um, working with a university. In this case, we're working in the spring, late spring, with Vanderbilt Neuroimaging and Brain Dynamics Lab. We're going to run our uh, group reflection in its first incarnation through an fMRI where we'll have a a list of this, what I call closed-end questions, open-ended questions, social media. This is what we've been prepping for. What this will show is that we can extract information on the ongoing vigilance states and the physiology from the fMRI signals. So in an fMRI, you know, similar, you know, more sophisticated version of an MRI, you can see which part of the brain lights up like the amygdala versus the limbic system versus the prefrontal cortex. And what we're going to deduce from this is be able to develop certain biomarkers where we can have a better understanding of the internal states, you know, based on the input of the assessment tool. And the whole point of this study is we'll demonstrate how emotional and conversational understanding will enhance mental health disorder determination using multimodal measured analysis. So your company is basically at a beta stage and you are going to use your tool to run tests on people that have mental health problems and then be able to visually see how it performs and and how their brain is working as they're answering these questions. Is that basically what you're doing? That's basically it. We're coming to the end of the podcast, Steve. If one of my listeners wants to uh, reach out to you or learn more about what you're doing, how should they go about that? So our website is SignalAction, all one word, SignalAction.ai. And uh, regarding um, LinkedIn, you can do, uh, I'm like one of the, I think, two or three Ardiris, Steve Ardiri, A-R-D-I-R-E. And that has all the links to email Twitter, etc. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Steve. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Technology Trailblazers podcast. 
Are you an independent IT consultant or running a small to mid-sized consulting firm? Would you like to share your thoughts on my podcast? Contact me for more information about guest opportunities. My email address is Derek at technologytrailblazers.club. That's D-E-R-E-K at technologytrailblazers.club.